Hi, I'm Benjamin Patton. I'm executive director of the Patton Veterans Project, and we are a nonprofit organization that uses filmmaking as a um, therapeutic approach to helping veterans cope with post-traumatic stress and military families as well. On our last episode, we spoke with a couple of veterans who shared their experiences uh, in the military in connection with their work with us. They were both folks that had participated in our film workshops and uh, spoke about their films and their service experiences and the traumas that they had dealt with and how they'd cope with them. Well, today we're going to speak to someone uh, from a different area of this of this topic who is a mental health expert, and uh, uh, that is Professor... Um, or Dr. Rachel Yehuda, who is a professor of psychiatry and neuroscience at Mount Sinai School of Medicine, and she's also director of the Traumatic Stress Studies Division there. And she's worked with veterans and in this area for over 30 years. And so welcome, Dr. Yehuda, to our program. Well, thank you for having me, Ben. Well, today I'm very interested in, 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 in exploring your perspective on the power of creative expression and how particularly the, our work with film in our organization, which is our medium, but how this this type of approach and these types of approaches can be effective at, at, at improving mental health among veterans and military families and also can work in complement with many of the existing therapies that are available to, to, uh, to men and women in the military. Uh, there are a lot of treatments for post-traumatic stress disorder right now, and a lot of them are focused on these short-term, 12-week uh, cognitive behavioral approaches, uh, treatments such as cognitive processing therapy or prolonged exposure, and they're, they're used widely in VAs in the private sector. But one of the things that is really very interesting is that when a veteran does prolonged exposure for 12 weeks or so, it doesn't seem to be enough for most veterans. There's still a lot more needs there. And so the question has really become, what else can we provide? How do we address the full set of needs that combat veterans with PTSD or even other uh, deployment-related problems such as depression or anxiety or or difficulty adjusting, what else do they need? What, what, what are these treatments not tapping into? And how do we supplement them with more? Mm-hmm. I was really very fascinated with the idea of filmmaking and applying it to veterans because I think that the power of storytelling is essential for healing. And in fact, the existing therapies for PTSD really are rooted in the idea of telling one's story. One of the things that happens when people participate in cognitive behavioral therapy is that they're urged to not avoid painful details of what has happened to them. And the idea is to desensitize them, um, allowing them to not experience so much pain and emotion when they're confronted with memories. Also, perhaps provide a different perspective on a painful memory. So storytelling is really at the core of therapy for trauma survivors. But as I said, there's something about the way that these stories are told in therapy that doesn't break through completely. 
And so the idea that there might be other ways to tell the story, maybe telling the story from many different perspectives, including a creative perspective, Mm -hmm. including perhaps even a fictionalized perspective, really intrigued me. Well, I want to touch on a couple things that, that and get into sort of what you see as the distinctions or the differences between some of the existing therapies and some of the perhaps more creative ways of storytelling. To participate in a therapy like prolonged exposure, where you're really going to be revisiting the past um, or cognitive processing therapy, there, there has to be a certain readiness to do that work. Um, a lot of people naturally want to avoid Uh, confronting memories of what happened to them. One of the problems that happens in post-traumatic stress disorder is that you try very hard not to think about a painful memory, but there it is. It comes, you're triggered very easily. You can have memories, flashbacks. Things can remind you of what happened. So even if you actively attempt to not think about a painful memory, You're thinking about it. There you are. Um, So the natural inclination, what many people have taught themselves how to do, is try to suppress the thought as soon as it pops up to avoid becoming too distressed about it. So a lot of times you go to therapy to deal with the traumatic memory, and you're not quite ready to do that work, and you find it really difficult for people that are ready to do the work, breaking through that cycle and talking about the uh, traumatic memory can really help them a great deal. But the question becomes, what are the ways to get ready? What are the ways to begin to approach potentially traumatic material without going all in on a very painful memory that you might have had that when you go near it, you just want to avoid because it's too triggering and it just brings up too many bad feelings and symptoms. There's certainly evidence that people drop out of these kinds of therapies, but they don't drop out of treatment. And that is a really important distinction. Um, Somebody can come to a VA, for example, and be um, enrolled in a protocol for prolonged exposure and decide that they don't want to be in the study. But it's very unlikely that that person will not come back for something else. Mm -hmm. So what's really important is to be able to say to somebody, well, that's okay. We don't have to do this therapy. Here are some other choices of things that we can do. And maybe in the future, we pick it up again or not. Mm -hmm. Um, But the important thing for our field is to have a lot of different ways to approach a problem, not just one, because people are very different. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, we're really looking for a customized, personalized approach to the treatment of PTSD and not an off-the-rack fit that will um, be good for everybody involved. I know one of the first uh, times we um, invited you to one of our multi-day workshops, you actually participated in it to some extent. And and I'm just curious, just as a, as a, as a, as a participant and observer, any, any, any recollections of what that was like? Oh, of course. It was life-changing for me to be part of that first workshop. And for a lot of reasons, first of all, there were Israeli combat veterans. I'm Israeli. So I understood the language, and it was really very interesting for me. A lot of uh, people in my family have been Israeli combat veterans, um, so that was very meaningful to me. What struck me was how similar Israeli combat veterans are 
to the uh, combat veterans I have come to know over the years at the VA and other and from other places, and how, except for the language, we're dealing with very similar issues, especially the initial fear of exposing oneself and being vulnerable, what this will do in terms of what secrets will I reveal in this process. But I think what really struck me was how quickly, within a few hours, you and your team were able to give people the skills, the technical skills of how to put emotion and feeling onto a screen. You start out with a six, uh, six um, boxes for the storyboard. And um, what I liked about it was that you just taught something. And it didn't matter whether you were teaching this to someone who did and didn't or didn't does not have symptoms you were teaching someone a skill and everybody in the room could learn the skill and what that did was it made people who are sometimes in a position where they feel disabled and not feeling that they can't do what other people can do, able to do something. Mm -hmm. And by the end of the first session, everybody walked away successfully having made a film about an emotion, and everybody else guesses the emotion that they made a film about. It's a silent film. Mm -hmm. And at the end, you feel, hey, I know how to do this. Mm -hmm. I am able to take something and create a narrative on film that other people will be able to understand, that is very, very powerful. Right. And I guess that gets to, there are a few other sort of elements this that I want to touch on. And one is that, that it, there's a sense of agency, right? I mean, when you, when you, unlike, you know, being required to, let's say, recount a story or something like that, that you, you know, have to, to re-encounter a trauma that you've experienced, you have a sense of agency, a sense of, of being able to be self-directed and decide, what I'm going to talk about, whether I'm going to be in the film, behind the camera, in front of the camera, I'm going to write it. It's going to be about me. It's going to be about a fictionalized character using G.I. Joe's. Is that a is that something that you can speak about or you think yeah, is a but factor? It is, but it's what's even more powerful is that a lot of trauma survivors believe, and combat veterans especially believe, that somebody who wasn't there can't understand. Uh, I hear that a lot. You wouldn't understand. You weren't there. You have to be like me in order to understand what I have gone through. If you do a simple exercise where you pick an, literally pick an emotion out of a hat and you tell someone, all right, make a little film about, for example, despair or happiness, and then everyone in the room successfully guesses the emotion that you just made a one-minute silent film about, that sort of takes this idea of you won't be able to understand. Uh, it sort of, sort of weakens that idea because, in fact, everyone in the room did understand. Yeah, <laughs> right? and, then, and then they go back and build on yeah. that with the film after yeah. doing an abstract exercise. They right. use the tools they learn there to go back and make a film collectively with two or three other veterans about what they something they really do care about, and I guess right. that's uh, then it becomes more personal and significant. But I think the this idea that you first start out with just generic emotion is powerful. You know, a lot of people uh, used to say in the early days of PTSD. I've been around for a long time that uh, trauma survivors don't want to talk about their trauma. 
And what I've come to understand is that they actually do want to talk about their trauma, but they want to make sure that everything is going to be okay on the receiving end, that they're not going to be judged, that their narrative will be accepted and understood. So a lot of uh, trauma survivors historically would not have spoken about their trauma, not because they can't, but because they were worried about the impact of their story on someone that they loved, or that they would be judged because some elements of what happened may not be so pretty. Maybe people would not understand some of the choices that people are forced to make, or some of the reactions that people have when their life is at stake. So I think that giving people the opportunity to make a film, to speak a truth, to tell a narrative in a way that people can really hear it and really see it and really understand it is a very powerful way to begin a conversation that humanizes the experience, the individualized experience, and makes it just that much easier for the trauma survivor to tell a more a, a deeper story, mm-hmm. perhaps in a less public forum, to someone that they really want to tell that story to. Yeah, I agree. I often, I, I always believe that, that everybody deep down wants to be understood and wants or, wants to tell their story. It's just the question of the tools, the way to do it. Am I, you know, uh, how the right audience, the right setting, the right tools, the right metaphors? But I think deep down. People want to be understood. Um, and I, I wanted to pick up on, as a, both of us are civilians, and I've had you know 200 years of military in my family, but I'm still a civilian. But I often, at the workshops, feel and sometimes say that, well, I can't, you know, my father used to remind me as a kid, you've never missed a meal or heard a shot fired in anger, and don't you forget it. And you say thank you to those who have and help them any way you can. But just the same, I feel that this very powerful medium of film or video is a wonderful tool because we all sort of understand uh, this this medium. You know, we all carry around a video camera in our pocket and with some downloadable software you can edit. And and this is the YouTube generation of warriors. So the idea that that I can't relate to someone's combat trauma, but I but I can relate to what it might feel like because of my own traumas, you know, and I think there's some way in which, just like you described in the in the emotions exercise, the fact that we can help them articulate or even understand emotion that was expressed on film is the beginning of like bringing us together and, and, and you know, in terms of our shared understanding of, of one another's traumas. Yeah, I don't think the idea is that people can't relate to each other's traumas. I think the minute people start talking and sharing, they can relate just fine. I think the problem is this idea or this fear that it's not worth sharing because why would I expect somebody to be able to relate to it? But almost always, the minute anyone starts to share and converse, there's an area of mutuality. The problem becomes when you don't share, when you make the assumption that somebody's not listening or someone that doesn't care. But the minute that you engage in an exercise where you're talking and someone's listening or someone's viewing, that challenges that assumption, and it begins a very powerful healing process where you can become part of a society again, Mm -hmm. which is very important because more than anything, combat veterans feel different. They feel like the other, especially when they come back. And they don't want to give that up so much. Mm -hmm. You know, they kind of like the fact that they 
are the other, and there needs to really be a process where you can keep what is special and unique and important about the fact that you are a combat veteran, but also blend into the here and now. Mm -hmm. Share it with your family who weren't there with you, but who love you and who want to be part of it. And maybe they can understand all of it, but they can understand some of it. And what they really want is at least this process where you're trying to bring them in so that they can connect to it. Mm -hmm. You know, you had said something at an, at an event I was at um, that was very um, profound, I thought, and you had said that this process is, is somewhat unique in that it allows you to switch sides, allows a veteran to switch sides and sort of see and articulate something from a different perspective. And then you had said, just paraphrasing, but you had said that once you can get a veteran or a person who's experienced a trauma to see something in a different way, all things are possible. Well, that's one of the things this uh, film project taught me, because I was really trying to reflect on what the magic, what the secret sauce was. Right. Because here, after each and every workshop, and I participated in five of them, you had a group of veterans who were very proudly displaying a film that could be very dramatic, that could be very funny, that could be very serious, that could end well or not end well. But at the end of that, there was a real sense that this had been a positive experience and they were proud of their film because otherwise nobody would have gotten to see it since you right. leave that up to them. Right. And I was really thinking, what, what is going on here? And it came to me that one of the things that doesn't happen when you do regular psychotherapy, even with a good technique, is that you don't step on the other side. You're sitting where you're sitting talking about your narrative to someone else. It's more oppositional. It's more, oppo it's, it's, it's more that you're staying within your perspective. When you have to make a film, you get behind a camera. You're telling the story from the perspective of the viewer, for, for how the viewer is going to view it, and the ability to rotate the story and see it in its many different angles is, I think, a very important process that leads to healing. So this idea of not being stuck in your narrative, the idea of playing around with different ways to convey an emotion, it forces the narrative to be flexible and it forces you to be flexible with it. And that's really the key therapeutic process in PTSD, to get somebody to think about their trauma in a different way, mm -hmm. as an opportunity, as not their fault, as part of the beginning of something positive, even if it was a horrible way to begin something, but maybe not um, the end of the story, or maybe for a purpose. And so that is really what happens in a successful therapy for PTSD, that the story moves, and you move with it, and you move on. Is this is is this uh, something of a manifestation of what we might call post traumatic growth? Is that possible? Sure, it's the beginning of how you take something negative and convert it. I mean, most people, uh, certainly according to statistics, but I just think even without statistics, everyone knows someone who has suffered in some way in their lives in a very profound way. Um, trauma doesn't spare any of us. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. We are all going to be tested. 
we are all going to be in a situation where we don't think we can just get up the next day and face the world because we're so flattened by what happened. Mm. What's really important is to know that there is a next day, that as bad as this pain is, you have nowhere to go but up, Mm -hmm. and that if you just sort of step out into the darkness, there might be some light. Wow. As we're getting close to the end, um, I I did want to touch on something that's been implicit in what we're talking about, but I wonder if it's a distinction uh, or a difference between what we're doing and maybe some of the existing therapies, and that is um, the notion of collaboration. I mean, picking up on that sense of community among tribe, you've seen it with veterans working together that met in session one and three days later made a film together that didn't even want to speak to each other or me or you when they started. Right. And by the end, we're, in many cases, we're friends. And so can yeah. you sort of speak to that as a kind of a, 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 a unique element of what we're doing? That, that's almost been my favorite part, watching people who you had to really cajole and convince to come to this great workshop, who don't get out of the house much, who don't really feel that they have too many people to talk to. And by the end, even the most isolative person has made a friend that they're going to keep even after this experience. They found a way to work together with someone. They found a common humanity. That's the brainstorming. You begin to to see that the idea that somebody else just shouted out is something that is in your heart and that you are not alone. Mm-hmm. And that you're going to be able to tell your story along with other people. I've always liked group therapy for that reason, but this is even more powerful because you're in the real world. You're doing a project together. You have a common goal, right. not dissimilar to what happened in the military. Right. Interesting. Well, where do you see all this going? I mean, we've, we've known each other a couple of years. We work together uh, increasingly, and and uh, you know we 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 see these statistics. It's pretty high suicide rate still, something like twenty a day. We've got these high dropout rates from from existing therapies. We still have veterans that are really still struggling, and many many in transition. Not to mention military families and and ways to extend in that direction. But where do where do where do you give me a forty thousand foot view of where you see uh, the the potential for this type of approach? I really believe in it. You know that because I've been very involved in it. I think that we have to have safe ways for veterans, for trauma survivors to be able to express themselves. We have to also be able to listen when some of the things they want to express are are not so nice to hear. Because right. um, they can be that that process itself can be quite cathartic, right? Where somebody just needs to get. I mean, I've made over. 400 films so far and worked with 1,500 veterans, and I have seen a number of films that are negative, but they're typically, even in that case, pretty cathartic for the veteran to actually make even that somewhat of a negative film. We have to be able to embrace it. Uh, Mm -hmm. We have to be able to really make people feel that we're willing to listen to anything that's on their mind. We're willing to see anything and that we can deal with it whatever it is, and the minute you start censoring and imposing and saying, well, you shouldn't say that, the magic is gone. I think that the idea here is really to be able to empty your soul onto the camera and have that project out somewhere Mm -hmm. and to have that be a meaningful experience. So, I mean, you and I have talked about how to make this very broadly available to, Mm -hmm. um, in the veteran community. I think 
that um, almost every veteran that I've spoken to has really thought this was an unbelievably valuable experience. It's not going to get rid of your PTSD or your depression, but it'll make it that much easier for you to re-enter a better place. Mm-hmm. What I think is really cool is the narrative part. And I think that um, writing can do this. I think acting in a play can do this. I think music can do this. I think that, you know, the so-called right brain type of expressions, I think that we rely too much on words to transmit information. We rely too much on logic. And uh, what happens with trauma survivors is that that exact part of the brain that logically thinks or cognitively reasons may be a little disrupted. And what's really great is to start feeling again, to start having fun again, to start having pleasure again. And one does that when the product of one's mind can sort of come out in many different creative ways. So um, I think Filmmaking is great because you can really teach it. I mean, who knew? I mean, you can really teach it. And after a few short hours, somebody say, oh, I get it. I get how to create distance or surprise or tension, (laughs) right? And that part's cool. And it's harder to teach people how to write or how to play a musical instrument. But I think it's the idea of being able to use a broad, broad spectrum of sensory experiences to get at what's inside. And as you know, you know, we are, um, while we're, we're on the creative side of the brain, we are working to, to have this seen and more broadly accepted within you know, clinical circles, and we're in the midst of, a, of a, a clinical study, probably the first ever on this type of, of program, exploring both the quantitative aspects of it, but also the qualitative aspects, the transformative aspects that you can't you know, put in a checkbox. You know? And so we're, we're looking at that and hoping it... Well, it, you know... Th- that's really been the problem. You know, we call everything mental health. And when we say that, we really mean mental illness half the time. And um, what I like about this is that it really doesn't matter what your symptoms are. We're not even dealing with symptoms. We're dealing with wellness. We're dealing with resilience. We're dealing with holistic messages, creativity, And I think what's really transformative about this is that you can really leave your symptoms away somehow while you engage in this process. No one's too ill to do this. Mm -hmm. Um, And nobody can be harmed by this because you have plenty of people to talk to during the process for people that get agitated. Mm -hmm. So I think instead of focusing on mental disorders, this kind of project focuses truly on how to increase our wellness, our resilience, and our true mental health. Well, I, I just want to thank uh, Dr. Rachel Yehuda for being with us today. I'm just a big fan on top of a uh, uh, friend and colleague. And I want to thank our listeners and our supporters for paying attention uh, and sticking with us today. You can find us online at patentveteransproject.org or on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook. And we will look forward to being with you again sometime soon. And thank you very much. And, uh, and to all the veterans and military families out there, thank you very, very much for your service.